HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Whole Foods Market is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network and the Department of Transportation's Summer Streets, a three-day series of events dedicated to healthy, active living on the car-free streets of New York City. Join us at the Whole Foods Market City Picnic Area on 24th Street and Park Avenue the first three Saturdays in August. Find more information at the DOT's website, keyword Summer Streets. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Can you smell this? I'm asking you, the listeners, can you smell this? Because today we have on a now prolific author, Molly Birnbaum, who just wrote Season to Taste, a book about smell, about the loss of smell, regaining smell, and everything in between. Thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, we met a couple years ago when you were actually doing an article, I think, about female chefs. Yeah, I was when I was a graduate student yeah, many yeah. years ago. And I remember all the questions about like Barbara Lynch uh, from Boston, who I got to spend years with in the kitchen. And um, at that point, I think you did mention that you didn't have or at one point didn't have a sense of smell. Um, and I kind of glossed over that fact. I think we discussed it very briefly. But now it's come to, you know, the forefront. It's, it's, it's come bound. It's, it's in a book. It has. Um, which I just read over the weekend and is heart-wrenchingly awesome. <laughs> and <you>. But, like, <laughs> aspirational and exciting all at the same time. But let's start from the beginning. Sure. How did you lose your sense of smell? Well, it was the summer of 2005. I had just graduated from college. Um, 
I was in love with food and cooking. I wanted nothing more than to be a chef. So I was working at the very bottom of the chain of a restaurant in Boston as a dishwasher. Yeah, which, which place? Uh, it was Craigie Street Bistro, now Craigie on Main, yeah. um, working for our chef Tony Maz. Um, and I had aspirations to go to culinary school, which I was set to do um, maybe five months later. But first, I was going to work in this restaurant. Yeah. And I started from the very bottom, doing dishes, chopping garlic, the yeah. whole nine yards. Um, but the very end of August of that summer, I went for a jog in the morning, and I was hit by a car. Yeah. And in that accident, I tore the tendons in my left knee, I broke my pelvis, and I fractured my skull. Yeah. I would later learn that in the impact of that head fracture, my brain bounced in my skull, in effect, severing the olfactory neurons, which run from the nose to the brain. And so in, in an instant, I lost my sense of smell. Do you remember the smell of the accident? I mean, like, I don't remember yeah. a thing yeah. about the accident. That, that day, pretty much the next two weeks are a blur. I have small, little memories, but nothing concrete and it was it was weeks after that when i realized that i couldn't smell uh, i was first to you know react with pain and depression and not really understanding what was going on but it was one day when my stepmother had baked an apple crisp and i think there were a bunch of people in the room my family and everyone was ooing and eyeing over the smell yeah. of this apple crisp which is something she made all the time and i loved and the smell reminded me of fall and you know it was a very happy thing but i could not smell a thing and i realized especially after she held it under my nose and i breathed in and there was nothing yeah. that there was something very wrong what is the term for l losing a sense of smell uh anosmia is yeah. the term for those who cannot smell or the condition for those who cannot smell. And, I mean, it can happen in so many different ways, from accidents to, you know, mm -hmm. disease to, uh, I mean, genetically not having right. receptors. Some people yeah. are born without a sense of smell, but in terms of losing it, it's generally for three reasons, either a sinus disease or uh, upper respiratory infection, just a common cold can cause you to lose your sense of smell, yeah. or a head injury. Oh, I, I had the, I think, other two as a child mm -hmm. for years, and had a deviated septum that I had fixed when I think it was really? 15. And I, I don't think I smelled up until then, really. I mean, really? Little, little, little bits here and there. And as you can see by my nose, it was not a, a you know, um, plastic surgery because they <laughs> never fixed the, the bumps and the crooks that are, are yeah. there. But yeah, it, I think it wasn't until 15 that I can could actually start playing sports because I could breathe through my nose. And you don't realize how much of a role, you know, uh, these two little holes in your face actually. Oh, for sure. Yeah, actually make. Um, loss of smell. I think to understand that too, you have to understand how the nose works. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's tons and tons of scientific information and season the taste, but can you give us the most basic uh, explanation of how we smell? Well, basically, smell molecules which come from, you know, roasting chicken or veal stock simmering on the stove, enter your nose. And on the top reaches of your nasal cavity, they encounter uh, olfactory receptors, which there are many theories as to how exactly they work. But in essence, they pick up these smell molecules and through the olfactory neurons, which do run from your nose to your brain, send patterns or signals um, some smells have hundreds of different uh, signals being sent through neurons up to the brain. And like 
reading sheet music or you know the html coding of a website your brain responds to those patterns and says oh veal stock oh roasting chicken it's like i always think of it like reading music in the brain yeah yeah so it's kind of wrote it's learned it's learned i it's been shown that we don't we are not born with many sense that we automatically love or hate it's all through experience and context that we grow to first understand what it is that we're smelling and then also have an opinion about it yeah yeah. so i mean there are no innate smells that are automatically bad like you know dog poop or you know automatically good like apple pie well i mean it's hard to say because we can't really ask a newborn what they're thinking about the smell but they may love the smell of dog poop right well there have been studies to show that very small babies are not repulsed by the smell of poop. So yeah. it's not clear. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, you know, talking about smell and how big a part it plays of your senses, um, had you ever gone before without sight or feel? Or, I mean, have you ever not had one of your senses functioning? I, I never have before yeah. this. I think growing up, of course, I had colds in which I couldn't smell, and that was always something that made me think, oh, food tastes like nothing, this is no fun, but I never really put it in context. Yeah, so, I mean, how did you think to start regaining your sense of smell, or how did you adapt to not having smell at that point? Mm-hmm. Well, in the beginning, when I couldn't smell anything, um, and I was still still in love with food and cooking, I taught myself to cook with my other senses so once I recovered enough to actually function well in the kitchen I spent a lot of time thinking about sight and about sound I mean the look of food on a plate the sound of butter melting in a pan um, and and texture and temperature and all these other cues for flavor which I never gave that much thought to Um, and so when I was cooking with those in mind I found that I could really enjoy both cooking and eating in a way that I never really could before. Yeah, were you sate by cookbooks then? Because they have all those, you know, uh, referential things aesthetically and talk about the tactile, but there aren't any, like, scratch-and-sniff cookbooks, so you don't know, you know, what you're looking for smell-wise. Right, exactly. And I so I, I stuck to very rote recipes. I didn't experiment at all because I found when I did try and cook without measurements already in place my cooking was mediocre at best yeah yeah and do you remember the first thing that you cooked after the accident and i mean how far from Mm -hmm. the accident was that well it wasn't that far actually i remember baking while on crutches in my mother's kitchen which was a little it was interesting Um, but I, i started with baking actually because i figured because baking is all about measurement and science and temperature and time that you you need recipes most people do to bake i figured that i could do that better than cooking savory or have a control have have a a control so i think one of the first things i i made were were chocolate cookies yeah um and i put a little bit of cayenne pepper in them because (laughs) i ate so much spicy food during this time because i could feel the heat and the tingle from the nerves in my mouth um which i really liked and these cookies were not fabulous, but yeah, they yeah. were fine. <laughs> Excellent. Um, feeling heat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how did you eat with a sense of smell? I mean, they were more. it was more sensational. Yeah, without a sense of smell, it was much more sensational. I put Tabasco sauce on everything for a while because it made my lips burn. And I liked that, yeah. you know, feeling because it was feeling something. Yeah. So, I mean, of like the, the four, well, 
will consider umami too. Mm-hmm. Um, which of the ones were you most looking towards trying to eat when you didn't have a smell? I mean, were you looking for just heat or were you looking for bitter, salty, sweet? Yeah, no, I, heat was one thing, but also I liked salty food. I liked potato chips and pretzels, you know, that crunch with the salt, you know, something that kind of hits you over the head. I also really liked sweet, which I still like today. But um, I ate a lot of ice cream then because I really liked the texture, the smooth texture of ice cream, and especially when it had things in it for that contrasting textural crunch. Yeah. Well, you also had temperature, too. And temperature. Yeah. The great part of the book was uh, with Ben Cohen from Ben & Jerry's. (laughs) That was great. Yeah, no, I talked to to Ben Cohen, who's one of the two... Uh, founders of Ben yeah. and Jerry's, and he has a very diminished sense of smell, which makes total sense because our ice cream has so much texture to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, everyone just thought it was some hippies in Vermont throwing <laughs> everything they had, but, you know, prior to that, I bet you know, not a lot of ice creams had chunks of, you know, chocolate covered this and swirls of that. So, and I they mean, do chunks very well. Yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so addictive. Um, so, aside from ice cream, what were you craving at that point? Well, I, I don't think that I really craved anything at that point um it was difficult for me to to eat in in the beginning when i couldn't smell anything and it was i forced myself to eat of course and i found enjoyment eventually but i've found in talking to people who can't smell that our cues for eating are a little bit off it's difficult to tell when you're full when you're satiated and i and i too found that it was difficult to eat or to crave or to feel like I was done yeah. in a way that I had before. That's interesting you say cues for eating. Do you think there's a difference culturally too on you know how people or why people eat and do you think uh, you know meeting a nosmiax is that right? A nosmiax? It's hard to say yeah, how yeah. you actually say yeah. it. Those without smell from different cultures right. <laughs> how, how it would affect their eating habits. I mean I, I haven't met a whole lot of people not from America who cannot smell a few here and there but I would imagine that it affects people differently because we all eat differently in different cultures and we have different uh, dishes and smells and cues and times and all sorts of things so I would imagine too it's an interesting question so um, when did this accident happen again? how many years ago? six years ago it was in 2005 what was the first smell that you regained? Uh, it was rosemary. Yeah, it was fabulous. <laughs> I was a. Uh, it was it was only three months after the accident, yeah. so it was relatively soon. But I was um, helping my mother cook dinner, and I was chopping the fresh herb, rosemary, and it just hit me over the head suddenly, um, like a like a light in the dark. It was it was really phenomenal. Yeah, and that was the one and only smell you were able to. Right. You know, it was just recognize. that by itself. Um, right then. And then when I did begin to regain my sense of smell, it, it was often one scent at a time, um, but more and more as time went on. Yeah. Do you have a list of what you regained when? Well, I know the first couple, which was yeah. rosemary and, and then chocolate came back. And I, I remember smelling the, the, like the fruity red to a glass of red wine. Yeah. Uh, later, there were cucumbers yeah. which i had never thought about the smell of cucumbers before but then it was just so strong it could you know infiltrate a whole room with yeah. the smell of cucumbers um so i loved eating cucumbers yeah did you ever make a meal of rosemary chocolate cucumbers <laughs> and red wine 
I should have, yeah, but I don't think yeah. I ever did. <laughs> you know, it was great, too, um, is wine. Just felt like this thing that you had to do. I mean, it was a celebratory thing priorly. And uh, now you were just drinking it almost for its tannins. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like you were forcing yourself to eat and drink certain things just because of a cultural context? For sure. I mean, most of the time eating for me is with other people. And one of the things that I love most about food and cooking is how it brings people together over the table. So even when I couldn't fully taste wine, um, I still enjoyed drinking it because we were all having fun together and it reminded me of my past and, you know, all sorts of things I've done. So food for me has always had a larger context, which is how it made it easier to eat when I couldn't smell. So speaking of context, too, um, in reading through the book, a lot of the difficulty you had was not only smelling but recognizing smells once you got Mm -hmm. that sense back um could you you know think of something from your childhood like an apple pie baking and recall that smell or were you having troubles actually recognizing things because you didn't have a reference point well it was difficult when i actually did regain my ability to smell everything around me i had a lot of trouble recognizing smells and and in part i think that's because my nose was out of practice in part i think it's because maybe my sense of smell returned a little bit differently than it was before um but it's also it's so difficult to remember smells when you don't have the thing that smells right in front of you or for me it's very difficult to to label and i mean on that note closing your eyes now and imagining the sense of apple pie it's almost impossible to do. It's not like you can close your eyes and see an apple pie. You can mm-hmm. visualize it, but you can't visualize, I suppose, smell in the same way. Well, I mean, when I was reading your book, I could. Really? Um, yeah, but then I didn't realize that I was uh, reading it in a restaurant and they had pie on the <laughs> counter. I'm like, I'm really good at this. So. <laughs> that would have been great if they were yeah, true. Yeah, but I mean, did it actually change your perception of certain flavors? Did apple pie smell like rosemary? Did rosemary smell like chocolate? Most things smelled like I remember them. Um, and I mean, memory is fallible, so maybe it's a little bit different, but they are so familiar when I see what's in front of me that I feel like that's the same. A couple things were a little bit different. For example, skunk. Yeah. Before the accident, I didn't like the smell of skunk. I love like the smell most, of skunk. See, see yeah. people do. And <laughs> Gasoline, that, too. I yeah, don't know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, now I love the smell of skunk. Yeah. The first time I smelled skunk, I thought it smelled like biscotti. I just, like, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And so I, and maybe we learn to dislike or like that smell when we're very young, and that's why I didn't like it. And then somehow that association was wiped clean when I regained my sense of smell. Um, but now it's great. Okay, so um, just a warning for anyone that ever tries to eat Molly's biscotti. <laughs> may have a little skunk to it. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back with Molly Birnbaum on the food scene.
public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., tune in to Burning Down the House. Architecture is the laser focus of Burning Down the House, a weekly discourse on all things built, destroyed, admired, and despised. Each week, Curtis B. Wayne, your host, invites a posse of authors, critics, builders, designers, and other architecture fiends to reflect on various topics related to perhaps the most functional of all art forms. Again, that's every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with author Molly Birnbaum, Season the Taste, a book about the ta- uh, the journey of losing the sense of smell and regaining. Do you, do you like that preface, author? I Molly? love it. <laughs> yeah. A four-year project, you were telling me. From very beginning of reporting and writing a proposal for this book to yeah. end, it's been about four years. Why did you feel you had to put it into book form? Well... When I lost my sense of smell, doctors didn't really know what was going to happen, and they couldn't really explain to me what was going on in my own body. And smell was so important to me in terms of taste and flavor that I felt completely derailed without it. Yeah. And the only way that I felt I could really move on was to understand. And whereas I wanted that to be a very simple thing of just talking to a few people and getting some answers, it turns out that smell has lots of mysteries. Yeah. And I just got sucked into this journey in uh, order to understand what was going on. Yeah, it was kind of amazing, the cast of people that are in this book, um, you know, from Oliver Sacks, uh, the physician, neurologist, author, to, you know, uh, a flavorist, which we'll talk about what that is later, to a mm-hmm. perfume maker and uh, perfume academy. Um how little these people knew about smell in you know uh, you know the larger scope of it as you know one of your senses right that how you know there's such a lack of exploration uh, in it there right are now. there are a lot of questions that are unanswered yeah. about the sense of smell so who was the first authority that you approached or non-authority for that matter right yeah. well the first authority that I really approached um, was was Oliver Sacks I was slowly gaining back my sense of smell at this point which made me only feel more frustrated by my lack of knowledge because each smell that came back came with memory and emotion and just a whole host of things and I really wanted to understand what was going on would I ever totally recover and what would it mean if I did not so I had read one of Dr. Sachs's articles in the New Yorker I think you know how he explores the aberrations of the human body and makes it all make sense and Sometimes it has a happy ending, and I thought that maybe he could do the same thing for me. Yeah, Awakening says both. Yeah, uh, both. Uh, some good, some yeah. bad, but understanding in any case. Yeah. So I I wrote him a letter, and I explained what was happening to me, what had happened to me, and I asked if he had any thoughts or leads um, as to explore more. And generous man that he is, he invited me to come and speak with him. And when I went to meet with him for the first time, I really honestly expected him to just explain it all to this me. This is it, yeah. Like, light bulb moment. Okay, now I can move on. This is great. Yeah. And of course, I mean, it's impossible for, for anything and impossible even for Dr. Sachs. But he did talk with me about what it means to explore the mysteries of science, of medicine, of our bodies, and how it relates to not only memory and emotion, but our personalities and our sense of yeah. self. So it really, 
you know, it drove me to move on. So he gave you the foundation and the language to exactly. and proceed forwards. And didn't he also uh, give you a sofa rock or? <laughs> no, he has he had these two rocks in his his office. One was purple. I can't remember exactly what it was, yeah. and the other one was was yellow, and it was sulfur. And he had me smell each rock um, to see if I could smell it. And the first time I met with him, I I couldn't smell the sulfur, which has a very you know, potent yeah. scent. Um, raw eggs. Raw eggs. Farts. Yeah. yeah. Volcanic things. Yeah. Not a good smell. Yeah. Um, but his his eyesight was failing at the time, so he liked to look at those rocks to tell the difference in color. Yeah. I mean, not that it was felicitous per se, but uh, how parallel to meet someone who also was losing a sense. Right. You know, his sight. Uh, right. It's, it's degrading, degrading, degrading. So mm-hmm. uh, did you feel akin in that sense to him? I did. And, and it really helped me to put my own loss in a greater context i mean something that losing your sense of smell as many people have told me would be the first sense they would lose if they could pick any uh, sense to lose um and i was totally lucky to recover on other other levels and seeing someone else going through something that was much more physically present um and damaging was uh humbling and helpful yeah and then from oliver you met I think Richard Doty uh, was next. Right. I met him. He's a doctor at the Taste and Smell Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Did you uh, even know such a center existed prior? Uh, Well, I I had gone to one center like this when I was without any smells to get myself tested. Um, But I did not know the the mechanics of a place like this until I went myself as a reporter. Yeah. And what happened there? Testing. I'm well, they have people who can't smell or have distortions of smell or less smell than normal often come in to have themselves tested at this clinic, which is an all-day affair. Um, it's a battery of tests in terms of your taste and your smell, um, your cognition. Um, and at the end, though, you do scratch and sniff, like a whole, yeah. whole nine yards. And at the end, they, they give you a summary of what your abilities or lack of abilities are and give you suggestions as to what to do in the future. Yeah, what were your abilities and lack thereof? Well, the first time I went, I that was the first time I smelled chocolate. So yeah. it was a very happy experience for me, even though I couldn't smell anything else. Um, and the doctors there told me that it's possible to recover, but I should not get my hopes up. Yeah, but when you I was that re- a lot, didn't you? I got that yeah. a lot. That's why I kept on moving forward. Yeah. But, um, seeing other people who had lost their sense of smell, there's not a lot of hope actually so i'm incredibly lucky that i regained mine yeah and from there met people who actually produce smells like christopher mm-hmm. how do you say la, la dumiel yes yeah. yeah he's a perfumer um he was with iff when i met him he's no longer but he makes just wildly uh creative intense perfumes yeah um any and specific uh perfumes that people would know i'm not sure off the top of yeah. my head recently he's been doing um a few more creative things like i went to an opera that he produced that had smells instead of voices yeah, yeah. um which brought smell into a whole new category for me that that whole synesthesia right yeah, yeah. right combining all of our senses yeah which i'm assuming you you know had because you were lacking one so you had to make up you know with the rest i don't know if i had it but i certainly concentrated on it so much yeah. that i think i produced it so from perfumers you also met a flavorist and I did. explain what a flavorist is and you know uh, 
you know, who you actually met and how you explored that. Sure. I, well, I met a woman named Elaine Kelman Grossinger, and she is a flavor chemist at Citromax in New Jersey. And this is a company that makes flavors for food. And I had always known that flavor is added to food, um, natural or unnatural, all sorts of chemical concoctions that create the taste of soft drinks or, you know, fruit roll-ups or all sorts of different things that we eat on an almost day-to-day level for many people in America. Um, And she, again, very generously invited me into her flavor lab so I could see how they actually make these flavors, which is done with chemicals and mixed in with recipes and somewhat like a perfumer, you know, mixing all sorts of different individual smells for a larger whole. Um, but also like a chef because you're taking all of these different tastes and turning them into a larger, more complex meal. Um, but it was, it was very eye opening to see how they actually do this. Yeah. Um, what were some of your favorite flavorist flavors or smells? Well, they were interesting. I, that was one experience in which I had a very hard time recognizing what I was smelling because when you get done on such a minute level of tastes, uh, or smells because they often smell before they taste anything yeah. there. Um, it's uh, often they were unfamiliar. I mean, some interesting ones were benzaldehyde, which uh, smells like cherries and yeah. a little bit like almonds. Um, cis three hexanol or hexanol. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, hexanol, but it, yeah. it it smells like fresh cut grass, and yeah. they they use that in in flavors for food that we eat. And they, it just I had never thought of all of these strange things that go into the food that yeah. we eat. So when you do wine pairing notes now, you're like, it's a little better it's just three hexanol <laughs> in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wish. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could pick stuff out like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I find the flavor is completely fascinating that there are these engineered flavors, such as in, you know, uh, perfumes. Mm-hmm. But you went even further and went to France uh, to study at a perfume academy. I did. Yeah. Where was it? It was in Grasse in the south of France. I did two weeks at a perfume school boot camp in which we smelled raw perfume materials for eight hours a day yeah. and learned to apply labels and words and how to mix them. And it was, by no means was I a perfumer when I left there, yeah. but I, I got a, a very interesting look at what it's like to smell without any context and really learn how to memorize scent by applying labels and memories and visual scenes and you know sounds so it was very synesthetic yeah. i suppose it, it was very different than anything i've ever done before uh, but i mean you weren't just dealing with uh, synthetics at that point no. I mean, there, there were natural smells as well natural and synthetics yeah um we smelled hundreds of smells and tested ourselves on them uh over and over again yeah. what were some of the base natural smells that yeah were first privy to oh i'm trying to remember there was i lavender i remember and rose and i think galbanum and just all sorts of smells that were familiar yet not and had poetic names and came in these clear little bottles and if you opened one for too long it would fill the entire room with a smell so strong yeah but i mean these were like singular entities so it, it these smells almost felt autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember there was a point in the book where someone was making you smell something and you couldn't really pick it out. And then there was mint and then oh, there was right. rose. I think geranium is one that had uh, all sorts of little 
tiny pinpricks of smell yeah. as part of it. And you, when you concentrate that hard on a smell, you can pick out these tiny nuances. And that really comes from training and from practice and just smelling it over and over again. And when you do that, it's so exciting when you can get to that point of recognizing it based on a little tiny nuance. Yeah, I mean, just, just smelling wine for the first time mm-hmm. you get all that tannin and you're like oh i smell this and all you're really smelling right. is tannin right um, it's but, just like wine yeah. and with practice you can pick out all of those tiny little things yeah. that are there that really when you understand it make it that much more impressive and delicious well i mean let's talk about building a smell because you know it's not like you just put mint and put rose and you have rose geranium mm-hmm. i mean how, how small how minute are these molecules and how many molecules make up a smell well, it can be anywhere from 20 to 100s to make up one smell in terms of actual molecules. Um, in terms of perfume, each raw material isn't a singular molecule, but comes from a, a singular place. Um, and so when you mix together perf- like complex perfumes, Chanel Number no. 9, you're dealing with you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of olfactory molecules coming in. It's very complex. Yeah. Um- screw smell let, let, <laughs> you've gotten most of it back or you have yeah and you're slowly regaining so you get to appreciate all this now i do um but you also got to eat this kind of amazingly poetic meal by grant ackett at Alinea, mm-hmm. who went through not similar but went through a, a pain of his own um losing taste in his tongue um and at that meal what was the rapport with the chef and what was the meal that you ate and what did it bring to light well, I, I ate my meal at Alinea before I had the chance to interview Grant Ackett's. Um, so when I, when I went in, it was late on a Saturday night. I was with my best friend from college, and it was just this parade of courses that were intellectually stimulating as well as delicious or sometimes flavor-challenging. Um, and it really gave me a look into... Simwin's brain who thinks so much about the senses and how they combine when it comes to food um, in terms of, you know, a sweet potato tempura on a stick of smoldering cinnamon. So you're smelling the cinnamon as you eat this hot burst of flavor um, or a, a pillow put on the table by the server, a cloth pillow filled with lavender scented air with a pillow on top, I mean a a plate on top that slowly deflates the pillow as you eat. So you're smelling as you're eating and it combines all of these senses at once. Um, And when I spoke with Grant Ackett's the next day, he really um, explained to me more about his own experience and how it related to how he sees food and flavor and what it was like to rely only on the sense of smell when he couldn't taste on his tongue yeah and it was uh parallel to my experience in many ways except not at all and uh i think that we both learned so much about how flavor comes together with all of our senses by losing one for however long now when you cook do you think smell first smell forward well, I, I enjoy smelling as I cook yeah, more yeah. than ever before. Yeah. But I really do try and think about all of the other things that come together at the same time. I'm very attuned to texture and temperature in my food now. And I, I love to make things look beautiful on the plate in a way that I don't think I did before. Yeah. So what are your favorite meals to cook now? Oh, 
I don't know. I love to just go to the the green market and get whatever is there and whatever's colorful yeah, and yeah. put it together in a way that looks and tastes interesting. Yeah. Uh, are there new smells too that you're drawn to that you weren't to before? Other than skunk, that is. Oh, other yeah. than skunk, um, I like to challenge my sense of smell in terms of cooking new things or cooking old things in different ways. Just you know, continually trying to challenge remembering scents and applying it to food in new ways yeah what what were some of the more absurd smells that you you know uh got to sense got got to actually breathe in uh, i know being like in tony ma's kitchen you must have but being through all these other experiences you must have smelled something that was not ordinary that stuck with you hmm not ordinary like, I don't know. Yeah, like for me, like it's combinations of things, I think, more so than a singular ingredient. The first time, though, you know, it, it was a taste. It was also mm-hmm. smell Isafan uh, mm. from Pierre Hermé, mm-hmm. which is the combination of raspberry, uh, uh, rose, and I can't think of the other thing right now. But it, just like this completely new thing that I use that as a reference point. Right. Well, a few things come to mind. I mean, when I was in the flavor lab, the, the smell of jackfruit... Yeah. Which I had never, I've, I've still never tasted that before. Yeah. But smelling that, it was new. I think uh, Ellie, the flavorist, described it as banana and custardy. And you know, it was really yeah. different and delicious smelling. But also at, at Alinea, I remember eating something that combined mustard and passion fruit. So it was like this very sharp, tangy bitter spicy with this very sweet and eating at the same time it was almost like these flavors were at war in your mouth yeah now was there anything you wish you ate when you didn't have a sense of smell like durian and just got it out of the <laughs> I, way but, oh, I, I wish I had actually it would have been good to say that I've yeah. experienced that which I haven't yeah well I'm glad that you know you can smell what's cooking again oh, thank you I didn't mean to quote the rock I just realized <laughs> I think I did um but the book is wonderful. Everyone should check it out. Uh, Season the Taste by Echo. Uh, Echo. Yeah. Um, please read it because it gives you a whole new appreciation, not just for smell, but for being able to taste all, all the senses. Molly Birnbaum, thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Your host, Michael Harlan and Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer. AMP goes local. The Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, commonly known as the AMP, that grocery chain you've seen all your life, has glommed onto the concept of local and sustainable and has just introduced a new consortium of producers known as the Mid-Atlantic Country Farms, from which they will source beef and poultry. The animals are antibiotic and hormone-free, raised on vegetarian feed. There is no mention of certified humane or animal welfare-approved status, however, Maybe they haven't gotten that far in the marketing department. But what makes this of interest is that AMP supplies all AMP supermarkets, Pathmark, Food Emporium, Waldbaums, and Super Fresh. 
These are not particularly high-end supermarkets, so this is good news for the average consumer. If you want to read more about this, you can go to the AMP website, which is www.apt.com slash pressroom. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Finger on the Pole and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Milk Bar, Imperial Number no. 9, Myland, Mexicu, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Pewter Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery would like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rake of Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com. July 23rd, Bushwick Block Party. Block Party. It's a party in the street. Free pizza by Roberta. Death Killer Death Wrestling. Featuring the legendary Mad Dog Tosto. Photo booth by Ryan Slack. Waterworld. Closed by Chimeradactyl. Mary Meyer. Or Bogart. Death Killer Asphalt Resistant Jeans. All types of food for your face. Sweet soda by PA, Roberta's Bake Sale. Heritage Food USA. Orangini Eating Contest by the Orangini Brothers. Live music by Alex Trujan. Florida Paper Twin. Gang Sign. The Netherlands. Team Robespierre. Wild Yak. MC Todd and Bo Breezy. Night Show. Yeah. Sponsored by. Martin Greenfield Clothers, Free Fitness Studio, Heritage Radio Network, Free Williamsburg, Six Point Beer, Momo's Sushi Shack, Beer Box USA, Planet of the Fates, Bushwick Block Party, it's a party in the street all day long.